That's on page 974. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, there should be one in the pew in front of you, page 974, or Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 4, 5, and 6, and then I'm going to look over at chapter 5 and read verse 1 and verse 16 to kind of give us a, a fuller flavor of what I want us to focus upon this morning. This is God's word for us today, and here's what God says. It, but, in, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And then verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You may be seated. Father, we are grateful to have your word, for there is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And Father, your word is not an old truth. It is a living truth. And so we would pray that as we consider these words of yours that we've just read, that the very same spirit who penned them through Paul would now etch them even further and deeper into our hearts. That the Spirit of God would make these verses precious to us. That the Spirit of God would transform us to reflect the reality of these truths in our very lives, shaping the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we live. Shape us into the image of your Son, for we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been considering these four weeks, the three leading up to Christmas, and now this day subsequent to Christmas, we've been considering how Christmas offers us the gift of God's presence. We considered that we actually were made to live in the experience of and the enjoyment of God's presence. We also considered the tragedy that occurred, that mankind in the garden, living in the presence of God, rebelled against God and were subsequently justly banished from the presence of God. That the original aim of creation... God making mankind to live in and to enjoy presence with him was altered. We also considered that throughout the Old Testament, we, we receive not only promises of a return to experiencing the presence of God, but we begin to see 
provisional graces by the Lord running throughout the Old Testament in which, in which God created a people and which he provisionally manifested his presence near and in the midst of his people. We also considered that, that the decisive moment in the mighty works of God to restore the presence of God with mankind was decisively displayed at Christmas. That is the arrival and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the agent of restoring the aim of creation, the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, God becoming a man, entered into this world. And now this morning, the passages that we've just read provide a bit of an overlap of what we considered last week but they, they orient us even further and deeper uh, to the, the decisive acts of God in history to return the aim of creation, of mankind, people like you and I, being able to live in and enjoy the presence of God. Our reading from Galatians 4, verses 4, 5, and 6 actually describe um, two mighty acts, two decisive interventions in history in, in, in which God begins to, to manifest in clear ways his intention to restore the aim of creation to mankind. First, God sent his son. Look at what it says in verse four, once again, but when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time in God's timetable, at the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Just a, a wonderful reminder that, that which it is it? Is Jesus God or is Jesus man? Well, he is the son of God. He has the full deity of God the Father. He is eternally God as a part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, that at the fullness of time, at just the right time, in the eternal plans of God, God the Son entered into this world and he was born of a woman. He took on flesh. He became a man. Didn't cease to become God, but, but set aside the, his prerogatives to exercise his rights and, and, and workings as God and became the, the God-man. And it is with the arrival of Jesus, the God-man, God the Son, born of the woman, began the work of restoring the original aim of creation. God's presence dwelling with his people in his appointed place. But we noted last week that he came, he lived some 33 years on this earth, and then he departed. He returned to God, and he is on this very day there at the right hand of God where he is interceding for his people. Well, did we only temporarily have the presence of God then? No, our passage adds to uh, with another mighty act of God. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, 
Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, the first point that I want us to consider from these verses that we've just read is something of the reality of the indwelling of God's presence. God sent his son, and then God sent the spirit of his son. He sent the spirit of his son to indwell, to permanently indwell those who are sons of God. Those who are sons of God because the application of what Jesus Christ did on the cross gets worked out in the hearts and lives of those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who depend upon his work that he accomplished on the cross because of the life he lived, because of the death he died, because God raised him from the dead. All who turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ become a son of God. And all who are sons of God experience this second mighty intervention of God in history. God places the spirit of his son in our hearts. And that, and that placement of the spirit of God in our hearts begins to reorient us. It begins to alter us. It is the indwelling spirit of God that is the agent of God that bears witness to our hearts that we are sons of God. He says there in verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Romans 8 says that we are co-heirs. In other words, all that Jesus uh, has all that Jesus has obtained, all that Jesus possesses, we are now joint heirs of those possessions and those blessings and those benefits. We are no longer slaves but sons. Slaves to what? Well, the verse just preceding in verse 3, it, uh, it says that in the same way we also when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. It's in that context, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. We, we were slaves to this world, and yet Galatians 1 orients us by, by saying in chapter 1, verse 3, grace and peace uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. There's a sense in which we are no longer occupants of this present evil age. You say, I'm still here, ain't I? Yes, we are still here, but we have been delivered from this present evil age, that we would no longer live according to the elementary principles of this world. 
There is something of the future that has invaded the presence. And what has invaded the presence is that those who have been delivered from this present evil age now have the spirit of God, the the spirit of the future. Our future destiny is that we will live and dwell in the presence of God. Well, that has already invaded the hearts and lives of those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. The indwelling of God's presence sets us apart from this world. We are no longer enslaved to this world. We have now been delivered from this world. And the last part of Galatians in chapter 6, verse 14, says that we have been crucified to this world, and this world has been crucified to us. The indwelling presence of God is to have a great shaping influence in our lives. Why? Because we are, we are, there's been a humongous identity change or status change or however you want to describe it. We are no longer slaves to this world cut off from the Lord and from his presence. We are now sons, well-loved children of God and now abiding within us is the very presence of God. Things have not walked backwards after Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, that just for a slight moment, a couple of people in history had the benefit of dwelling in the presence of God, and and now we are victims of having been born at the wrong time. No, 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 no. We now have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit of Jesus inside of us. And Paul just says that means we're free sons. Paul would say it in a slightly variated way, grabbing a hold of a lot of Old Testament imagery when he would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you? Isn't it an amazing thing? We, We are sons of God and the Spirit of God is the reality that that, that testifies to that in our hearts and lives, and, and, and we are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is within us. As it turns out, Christmas is not over. As it turns out, if Christmas, the arrival and the, and the birth of Christ is, is the decisive act of God whereby the aim of creation is re- renewed and restored so that you and I get to live in and enjoy the presence of God in our lives. Something I think, I'm going to paraphrase it, but something Freddie prayed in, in our prayer time that, that, that we would that we would recognize and know of the reality of God's presence in our lives. Yes, that is, is a reality that we are to know and to feel and to experience. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the sons of God with the spirit of the Son at work in our hearts and in our lives. 
And that indwelling, second point, is to have an influence in our lives. Does it make any difference in terms of how we think, in terms of how we feel, in terms of how we live, whether or not we have this indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ in us or not? It makes a huge difference. We have been freed from this world. We have been freed to not think like this world thinks. We have been freed to to not be controlled by this world and shaping our feelings and our affections and our desires. We have been freed so that we would not live as this world lives, that we would live no longer as slaves to this world, but as sons who can live in and enjoy the relational presence of God anywhere, anytime, all the time, every place. Because the Spirit of God now inhabits us because the presence of God is now indwelling in our hearts. That's an amazing thing. The decorations may come down uh, already or sometime this week. The gifts are returned or in the process of being returned already or sometime this week. But the real point of Christmas, living in and enjoying the presence of God, has no expiration date. It is to last us until next Christmas and way beyond, of course. In other words, I, I, I don't know how let down you might feel because you didn't get what you wanted or thought you deserved for, for Christmas. Um, but if we understand what's really important at Christmas time, we can understand that we got everything we needed. We got everything that our loving Father desires us to have when he sent his son and now as he sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. You and I were not shortchanged at Christmas. Any and all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, let let me make a an important clarification here. Our passage tells us that God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That is, we have the indwelling presence of God in our lives. The spirit of Christ comes into our hearts as we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I point this out not to ostracize anybody. I do point this out to bring important, life-altering clarifications to each of us. Just because you celebrated Christmas, just because you acknowledged that Jesus and Christmas have something to do with each other does not mean 
that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. A second point of that, and I I don't aim to pick a fight, but it's not helpful when you try to explain to somebody that they can become a Christian by inviting Jesus into their heart. It's really not the conditions that the scriptures themselves put forward. It is true, we've just read it, that the Spirit of God comes into the hearts of those who are children of God. But how do we get the Spirit of God into our hearts? Well, God does a work in our hearts as we turn from ourselves, as we turn from our sins, as we turn from our own figmentations of righteousness, as we turn from all of that and we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging that he is Lord even as we realize our utter dependence upon him for the life that he lived and the death that he died. In other words, it is through repentance and faith that we become Christians. And as we become Christians, it is the Spirit of God who moves into our hearts and lives. Amen. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be that guy who ruins uh, the uh, Christmas after party here. Uh, but yet, yet, we must use the language that the scriptures use. And that is receiving Christ into our hearts occurs as one turns from themselves and their sin and one turns to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I say all of that caveat to say, so have you done that? Or have you missed the point of Christmas? Do you see your sin? Do you see even your own efforts at self-righteousness? Are you willing to walk away from that? And are you willing to embrace and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? It is those who repent and believe who have the spirit of Christ dwelling in our hearts. And that, that alive, influential presence of God's spirit frees us to think God's thoughts after him. Who are you? Who, or really, who are you? I mean, identity is a big issue in our culture today. Everybody's looking for who they are. Does it ever occur to us that if we want to discover who we are, we have to discover who God says we are? And that begs the question, if we, if we factor into the understanding who we are, that it factors, it's really important as to what, who God thinks we are. It's really, in fact, it's really important to, to consider who God says he is, not who we think he is. In other words, you, you and I are thinking creatures. And the reality of the presence of God is to influence the way we think. 
It is the reality of God's presence in our lives is to shape and reshape our understanding of who we are. It is to shape and reshape our understanding of, of who God says he is. It is to shape and reshape what we know is true and conversely what we know is false. It is to shape and reshape what we know is good and conversely what we know is evil. It is to shape and reshape what we know is beautiful. And and conversely, it is to shape and reshape what we know is ugly. You see, we are free to no longer be enslaved to the pattern of this world's thinking. We no longer look to the world and say, I don't know. What do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What do you think I am? We we now turn from that. We We turn from every opinion and every deceitful philosophy and every empty theory of reality, and we look to the word of God who who tells us that his spirit is now indwelling us, and that spirit is to have an influential shaping and reshaping on how we think. Well, the world's going to think we're crazy. Carl talked about it, that in Bible study this morning, uh, uh, the... Uh, the king, the, uh, the ruler, thought that Paul was out of his mind. And Carl commented that if you and I believe the things that God's word teaches us, the world will think that we have lost our mind. What we can say consists of justice. The world thinks we've flipped our lids. What we say consists of gender and sexuality. The world thinks that we have flipped our lids. But we will walk out of step with this world because we're no longer enslaved to this world. We have been crucified to this world because now the Spirit of God now indwells us. We are no longer slaves but sons. Sons who have the Spirit of the Son indwelling in our hearts and lives. And, and that should alter and influence the way that we think. It secondly should alter and influence the way that we feel the way that we desire and cultivate of our affections. The more we adopt God's ways of thinking, the, the more that we are going to look quite odd to this world, the more the world's going to think we have lost our mind and we uh, ought to be I don't know, something just short of locked up. Not to be a pessimist on the eve of a new year, but I would suggest to you that this next year and the subsequent years, unless God just pours out his spirit upon this world in a magnanimous way, he's done it before, he can do it again, I think if things continue in the trend that they're going, things will be hard for followers of Christ who seek to be true in terms of how we follow Christ. You say, well, thanks for being a Debbie Downer. I'm not a Debbie Downer at all. 
Because you know what? We are to not derive our affections from this world. Well, where are we supposed to get our affections from? God has placed the spirit of his son inside of us. And that, and, and that is to alter not only the way we think, it is to alter the way we feel. Regardless of our trials and tribulations, regardless of our testings and our temptations, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situations, regardless of our relational troubles, regardless of our bodily afflictions, regardless of our financial struggles, we can live in and enjoy the presence of God in our lives. That is the difference that the Spirit of God is to make as he influences our hearts to find delight in him and not in our situations and circumstances. Now, we can, we can grant those um, things we can grant these experiences, these hardships, these difficulties, these struggles, these sufferings, we can grant them the authority and the power to create a mood for us and to steal our affections that are supplied by the presence of God, or we can draw near to the one whose abiding presence is within us as, as we look to him through his word, his Spirit is stirred in our hearts and we can be reminded that the Spirit supplies new and fresh affections from Christ each and every day in our lives regardless of our situations, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the extremity of our tribulations and the difficulty of our trials, regardless of our troubles and our afflictions. It is the indwelling presence of the Spirit of Christ who can alter our moods and satisfy our desires. Now, it is often noted that even this season of the year is hard for many, and I get that. We, we can we can estimate and calculate a whole host of reasons why circumstantially and situationally this time of the year is hard. It seems like losses get um, elevated this time of the year. It seems like the, 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 the difficulties seem to get emphasized this time of the year. We, we speak of this time of the year being a blue Christmas. I understand that. But I think we should also understand that because of Christmas, if we, if we, if we move away the noise and the hustle and bustle of this season, if we properly estimate all of the 
challenges and heartaches and struggles that even get exasperated and intensified this time of the year. We must of all people not miss Christ. And the abiding, indwelling, influencing presence of Christ in our hearts and lives to shape not only the way we think, but to shape the way we feel. And then third, a third influence. That's really tagging on to a couple of verses that we borrowed from chapter five. In verse one, for, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And then... Uh, Uh, I'm gonna read verse 13 if it's okay. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, the indwelling presence of God, the Spirit of Christ, shapes how we are to live, it it shapes how we are to love. It it is true that the spirit of Christ in us is to shape how we sense and how we feel and how we experience God's love for us. We tried to think about that a little bit last week. But what we're adding to that reality is that the spirit of Christ in us is to shape not only how we sense God's love for us, but how we show and express God's love. A love back to the Lord in worship and adoration and a love toward each other in terms of love and care and service. You see, living in and enjoying the presence of God is to play itself out in how it frees us to serve him, to serve others in love. That, that is to, not to be an odd thing that we would find somebody who had the spirit of Christ indwelling them who would love to serve others. Of course, that resets how perhaps we would even think about the word freedom we, in our culture today. We have a very different definition of freedom. Freedom is defined by our world as the ability to do my own thing. And that's rooted in a delusional notion of reality. The only way that it works for you to be free to do your own thing is if, is if in fact, you were the center of the universe. Now, many of us struggle with that notion. We would like to think that we are the center of the universe. And... Um, and so that's, that's, therefore, that's why it makes perfect sense that freedom is defined by me, who is the center of my universe, being able to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, whenever I want to do it. Our culture says, it's my body, it's my choice, to which the Holy Spirit in the scriptures says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
who is within you, that you are not your own? As it turns out, you are not your own. And it's this, it's this indwelling spirit of God that reroutes that and messes that concept up. Because as it turns out, the one who is the center of the universe now indwells us. And freedom is defined no longer by doing what we want to do, but freedom is experienced as we do what God wants us to do. What does he want us to do? Take that indwelling spirit of God and do not use that to enslave ourselves to our flesh any longer, but to use that to leverage our lives to serve others in love. We are free, free to live in the presence of God, free to look like we live in the presence of God. What does it look like to live in the presence of God? It looks like we would serve others in love. It looks like we would reflect the reality of God's presence in our lives, as this chapter identifies as therefore possessing a life that is filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. So Christmas is not over. It is to last the rest of the day. It is to spill over into this coming new year. And it is to be a reality that we reflect each and every day of our lives. All who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ are inhabited by the Spirit of God. The aim of creation has been initially restored by the abiding, permanent, indwelling presence of God, freeing us to live as sons, freeing us to look like sons in how we live. Thank you, Father, for your word There is no word like your word. Our prayer is that you would turn our hearts toward the Lord Jesus. That whether it's for the first time this morning or a renewed sense this morning, that we would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that our lives would reflect and characterize the reality of the presence of Christ in us. We pray this in Jesus' name.